You are listening to The Broken Up. The Broken Up. The podcast. The podcast. The podcast. This is The Broken Up. I am Donnie Service, and this week we revisit our friend Jeffrey from Alias in the Air. This is a mixture of two interviews, one from March and one from a couple weeks ago, and we talked about his new record, we talked about making music, we talked about Star Trek and the internet and growing up in the 90s, and just had a good time, and I, I hope you really enjoy the conversation as much as I did. I listened to, uh, I watched your your music video, and I have to say, um, it, it takes a lot to disturb me. <laughs> And and it was disturbing in all of the ways that I think the world needs to be disturbed right now. And having you know followed you on Twitter and you know been been watching you your your social media presence around making this record, you know you're you're definitely touching something very raw. The way that you got the imagery together and and the people you were working with obviously were incredibly talented as as you are. And I was just really really impressed by what you put together with it. It's a great video. Thanks. Uh, thank you for all the compliments uh, and for all the people involved too. Because none of this, like, even though I'm the figurehead for this whole project that is Elias in the area, like there are other people that help me make things, especially visually, because I'm not a visual person. So to have finally made, after being a musician and doing this, well, just as Elias in the area for ten years, to finally have a good music video that I'm proud to show people is a huge triumph in itself. And I'm so glad that I found the right people to surround me with to make that project to finally realize this. Because I'm not a visual person at all. I guess I traded all my visual skill points for. The the music skill points that I got. But yeah, it takes it takes a, a small village to make something like that happen. And I'm really glad that I had the people that I had. But the subject matter being so timely is not even something that I planned or wanted or could have even conceived when I started working on this record because in some cases, some of these songs are four years old. I've been kind of living my own nightmare under capitalism, and I know there's a lot of people that are like me. And so I just started writing about all the issues that I was having, which to not tell the whole story, but basically I have like a disability and it's difficult for me to hold like a regular job. And I'd never really been poor or had trouble finding work in my life. And for the first time I was like, wow, I can't like pay my bills. Like I can't feed myself. Like and I'd never been in that situation before. And it's sad that a situation like that has to occur for you to gain a new perspective, but it really changed the way that I felt about a lot of things and systems of power that dictate the parameters of all of our lives. And I just started writing about it as therapy to have, you know, a place where I could feel like I had power over those things. So the fact that it's coming out now as those questions and those situations become ever present in everybody's lives every single day. This this record's only happening for me now because I'm finally crawling out of that depression and that hole that I was in for four years of where's my life going to go if I'm too sick to work but live in the only country, well, not the only country, unfortunately, but one of the, the last remaining first world countries where if you can't work, you don't have access to you know basically anything. So yeah, this is just coming out now because I'm feeling better. But it's it's crazy how each new week goes along, and I'm like, wow, this is this is on the record that I've been writing and working on for four years. Like it just it's like it's almost like it's coming true, and that's kind of scary. So tell me the story behind this record. So yeah, the story starts four years ago. Uh, I was hired to make music for a television show called Magic Funhouse, which was created, written, directed, starred in by famous YouTube comedian Brandon Rogers, who had been working with for a long time. And uh, I got the invite to visit the set. I worked remotely from my work for the show, but I got the invite to visit the set, went out to Los Angeles, and uh, a few times just to kind of just touch with the production and feel like I was part of it, because it was sort of 
um, I don't know. I didn't want to have a TV show happen and me not, you know, and me just be the guy that emailed in like part of it. Like if I had the opportunity to go and see the set of the show and they're like, yeah, we'd love to have you. Like we'd love to, you know, hang out and introduce you to everybody. I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't I go do that? So um, went and did that and uh, had a great time, had a really weird time, kind of freaked out a little bit. Los Angeles is sort of a weird city. So um, it was a weird time in my life. It was kind of a transitionary period. I just moved out on my own after being broke and living with family for a little bit. And, uh, my only job was working on the TV show. So it was a very, just like kind of overwhelming time in my life. And then to go and at night, I would just roam around the city by myself and just kind of see what kind of trouble I could get into. Um, more of a, more of an observer. Is this like 2016? Yeah, this is 2016. Sorry. So I become an observer of Los Angeles. Um, it freaks me out and, uh, come home, uh, show gets canceled, pick up the day job again, get fired from the day job. Cause I get really sick. Um, they find tumors in my intestines and like, I don't have health coverage and all kinds of stupid stuff like that. And, uh, at that point, this is probably 2017 now that this is unfolding. And, uh, at that point, like I'd already been like, you know, as kind of any young alti person, I guess, in like the two thousands was like, I was somewhat politically like motivated or whatever. And, you know, knew what I stood for, but wasn't ever really militant about politics and was very kind of like, Oh, just, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, never willing to engage people until I got sick. And then like, because I lost my job because I was sick, I didn't have health coverage anymore. And then just like learning how so many people fall through the cracks like that. And I was like radicalized and like just filled with rage. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of the progeny of the album is like this weird, incredible, amazing, surreal, great time in my life, immediately followed by the worst time of my life, uh, completely being controlled and influenced by the law of men, essentially that ruined my life. I I have, so many reactions to that. And, and the first is, you know, I've, I, I've had medical issues with my stomach for a long time too. Mm-hmm. And it's the worst, it's the worst. And, um, it's uh, navigating healthcare on top of that. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's just cruel what we put pe- people through in this country. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, to add the financial factor in there while you're trying to figure out how to just be okay. Um, definitely, you know, is, is, is very difficult. Um, something that's, um, stomach problems like that ulcers, um, you know, tumors, like all kinds of crazy shit, uh, colon cancer runs in my family. And, uh, I have kind of taken back my life after it being really like fucked up from when all that was discovered and all the shit that I went through. And, um, just two days ago, my little brother, um, had life-saving surgery because he had like ulcers that had like punctured like his colon and stuff. And, uh, it's crazy. Like, I'm so glad that I can deliver this album right now, even this week and have all this fire about resisting, you know, my illness ruining my life. So I can look him in the eye and go, I know what you're going through right now. And like, you can't let it kill you because it sucks, but like, you can't let it knock you down. I lost years of my life upset over what happened that fire in the belly, right? I mean, we're, it's, right. it's the place you sing from, right? You're supposed to sing from your diaphragm and from, from in that whole area is where your, your power is as a vocalist. I actually keep telling people that the element of this record is fire. So it's, I'm glad that you picked up on that. You've been releasing this record in little drips and drabs. I mean, there's been two releases now. Yeah, there were two singles, uh, two videos. So yeah, uh, Stark Life in March and the Isolator in June or July. Yeah, um, I remember the last podcast, the uh, Stark Life was already out, and 
uh, we talked about how disturbing that was. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Disturbing for many, I'm certain. Disturbing for all 40 music blogs that I emailed it to that they're like, we can't write about this. I I found it disturbing. Uh, Thank you. That was the, yeah. The the okay. visuals though and, and the 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 black goo and the uh yeah. Um I know we covered that already, but um tell me a little those bit are, about those are I don't it. know if it translates, but those are actually pills. We found black pills and it's my <sighs> my production designer, um, Michael Sparks, who's a beautiful, wonderful he just has an engineer's mind and anything I can think of he can build. Um mm-hmm. he does all of our stage stuff and everything. Um, I always want to make sure I shout out the people that work with me on shit. So he oh, yeah. built a box that I entered my head in, like I had to lay on my back and entered my head in from the side of it. And it was filled with like foam and a black curtain over the foam. And then once my head was in, they filled in the spaces over the foam and the, and the fabric with black empty pill capsules. So I'm actually like, like essentially the idea was that my face was like sinking in like a just endless sea of black pills. It's, it's like the ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> You know, exactly. I, I, I love it. Um, now that you've made that connection and I'm looking at the picture, uh, from this, uh, some of your promo that's going around and, and um, yeah, it, it's the, the contrast made it. So I, I thought it was just some, some pills, but you're right. It's a whole sea of pills. Yeah. Um, the shot was a little weird and we, we couldn't get the effect of like a huge sea behind me just because of like, we couldn't make a box and fill it that was big enough mm-hmm. to do that effect. So, uh, we, we did our best. So let's give it a listen. Now this is stark life off of Elias and the air's new record black pill. It's a real motherfucker. You live in Stark Life. 
So, so tell me about Isolator. Um, so Isolator is a song about, it's kind of central to the concept of the album um, in that when I was going through all the depression that I felt after what happened to me and my health and my life as a result, um, I found these communities online, which I would call black pill communities. I think they would tell you that too, where people kind of go on and they make a post like, this is my life and these are my problems and these are my deficiencies and this is why there's no hope. And they're, what they're asking for in return is for people to go, oh yeah, you're right about this and this and this, and that means you should kill yourself. There's just these like mm-hmm. places, there's their message boards, they're on Reddit, although I guess Reddit has a policy against them and bans them when they crop up, but they are out there. And I found those when I was looking for support online and it wasn't that I necessarily like that it got to me or that it made me believe that things were hopeless for me, but it was seeing people who were just like me, seeing how defeated they were and how, how much they almost wanted the abuse of someone saying like, you're right, you should die, you should die. And I've kind of had a suicidal voice in my head for my entire life, even when I was like a little kid. And it was just so weird to see how I bet all those people have the same voice in their head that I do. And um, maybe if I was younger and web 2.0 had happened when I was maybe younger and more confused about like how to deal with my feelings. Maybe I would have found those communities too and asked people to tell me why it's, you know, necessary for me to kill myself. And it just really startled me. And I knew that naming the album Black Pill would be, I don't know, controversial perhaps, but it all ties into like everything is interconnected in terms of like the idea of people giving up the pharmaceutical capitalism, industrial complex in America, you know, all that type of stuff. And I thought Black Pill kind of sums it up so distinctly and keeps it very modern in that it's talking about a movement online. It's talking about modern healthcare and modern healthcare politics. So there were a lot of times I tried to fight against it and change it, but it's really the best title for the record. No, I think it's a great title. You um, asked me about Isolator and so I isolator. totally went off about the, <laughs> <laughs> well, and so that's why, so Isolator is central to the album because the Isolator is essentially the title track because the Isolator mm-hmm. is about the black pill communities I found online. And Isolator is me saying after all that, that maybe, maybe it's best if like, I, I feel the best when I'm alone, honestly, and I can entertain myself for 18 hours a day and have no problem doing that. And it just seemed like I ended up happier the more that I isolated myself, especially on the internet. I just felt like a lot of the situations that I could find myself in online could be not positive. If I was like real honest about my feelings or whatever, it just, it's not safe for people to, to be so exposed online. And there were times in my life, even a couple years ago that I would tweet almost everything and anything. I would stay up all night to tweeting about how I wanted to kill myself all the time and I realized that I think that internet is dangerous for emotional people and sensitive people. And I don't think the internet is a bad thing. I don't think social media is necessarily a bad thing, but the isolator is really just about how I realized that I need to isolate maybe these parts of myself 
and not trust. I'm very naive and would tell people everything about everything that happened to me. And that's backfired on me. So I guess the point that I keep making it over and over again is the isolator is about isolating yourself online for your emotional safety. It's a bigger beast than it used to be. And, you know, we're, we're of the generation that we, we were around when, when the internet was still small. Right. And that's my one boomer opinion, that old internet, like nineties internet, so much better than what we have today. Like web, web 2.0, fuck this shit up. I'm sorry. That's my one boomer opinion. I got to get in there. When, when I was getting on bulletin boards in the nineties, you know, and, and I was a queer, you know, uh, middling teenager. Right. And, you know, growing up in a religious family and a relatively lily white isolated neighborhood. Right. And having the ability to, to go online, like to lock my room and, and to, to be exposed to other opinions and other people, right? Um, it was this window into the world. It was an escape for me. And so, you know, it for the long time, the internet was this thing that shaped my life and, and introduced me to people that helped me become who I am. And to have watched over these years as it morphs into this thing where now everybody's on it, right? I mean, back then, nobody knew what a bulletin board was. You know, yeah. there were like 10, 12 people talking on a bulletin board. And now it's the world and your, your words are being, if not today, but potentially being picked up for years, maybe even decades by, by thousands or more people. Just if you say that the magic words that, that catch something and suddenly it blows up and it goes somewhere, right? Or if you seek out something that your, your brain is drawn to like a moth to a flame and you find yourself in this, this thing that, that you know is toxic and you're just going deeper and deeper because you can't turn away. Right. Maybe it's one of these black pill message boards, or maybe it's, you know, people who uh, torture animals. Right. Or maybe it's people who, who uh, just, uh, you know, amputate parts of their body, you know, it's, yeah, it's crazy how the internet can connect like, like communities of people that would think they're alone if there was no internet. Yeah. Like if you're a cannibal, how often do cannibals happen? Right. You would think you're the only fucking cannibal in the world. You'd be like, I thought of this shit. In the early days, the gross out stuff was what was like the, 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 oh my God, can you believe this is on the internet now? Right. But now these days it's like, oh my God, can you believe so many people think the earth is flat? Right. And, and then you, you really have to back up and say, wait a minute, how much of this was troll when it started out? And then how much of it evolved from that into like art imitated life, which imitated art, which imitated life. And now here we are, right? Like who knows? You can't figure it out anymore because there's just too many fucking people involved. A crazy example of that is mm-hmm. on 4chan, they started this like fake like smear movement where they're like, all right, so we're going to pretend that pedophiles have been accepted as part of LGBT and we're going to give them their own acronym. And we're going to like start this like discourse meant to like ape, the left that like oh well actually pedophiles are an accepted like uh sexual orientation and like we're valid and like we have you know pride for like being a pedophile and weird shit and then there are genuinely people now that have like aligned under that umbrella that are authentic 
and thus the smear campaign becomes self-fulfilling and that now these people are, you know, like trying to claim like, well, this is like a valid orientation and we want, you know, like an acronym and so forth. And most of that stuff is like satire and trolling again, meant to like ape the left and like, it's like a, it's like a tactic to make LGBTQ like, Oh, I've had it with, you know, the gays because now they're trying to accept pedophiles too. I always knew it was going there. It, it, I, mean, I don't know. I could rant about this forever, but it, it's, it's so like, we have no idea what the internet as it stands now can do to like the transmission of human ideas. Like it's far beyond anything anyone could have ever imagined how the, like, the events that happen in the world are shaped by the information that's shared on the internet. The, the idea of like you're, you're going onto these bullets and boards and you're seeing, you know, or whatever Reddit, whatever it is now. Right. Um, you're drawn to this part of the internet, right. For, numerous reasons right you're feeling these internal emotions and you're you're finding these other people that are feeling those same emotions they're expressing them in this way that seems kind of um self-abusive and, and inviting abuse right um and then what i'm hearing from you is is the idea of the record is that maybe you need to isolate yourself or you need to take this part of your brain and protect it from this thing that you're drawn to yeah that's a great way to put it or uh just like that isolating like my emotional self from the internet allowed me to spare myself of like emotional self abuse that utilized the internet, which is kind of like, could be a really interesting black mirror episode. <laughs> so let's give it a listen. Now this is the isolator.
so you you let me play drums on your record. Yeah, thank you for doing that. I actually snuck in a. I remixed your drum part so many times because I'm just not super well versed in uh, live drum mixing, uh, and it's, which is funny because I ran sound professionally for three years. But um, I guess doing it in like a recorded environment and my perfectionist ass just like. I'm sure I could have pulled your, I mean, your track sounded fantastic. I could have just pulled the faders up on all of them and called it a fucking day and you would have heard the drums and everybody would have been okay. Uh, which is part of how my approach to making music has evolved and become a lot more calmer is uh, trying to let some of that stuff go. So I wasn't convinced like, oh, you're going to get the drums perfect. They're going to be the best drums that you've ever heard on a record. But I, I remixed them again at the end. And uh, with a lot of, t- I like, watch a bunch of videos is what I did <laughs> and uh, remix them right before I sent the record in. And I really like, uh, I actually used the hives uh, as a reference. I listened to a mm-hmm. bunch of their songs as I was mixing it and uh, sounded about equivalent to me. So I was satisfied with that. I, and, I really liked the last mix I heard in the music video. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, it was always good because your tracks were always great, but uh, I don't know. I'm I'm really trying to get better at it, but I'm a, I'm a huge perfectionist with this shit and shit that should be good enough that people would tell me, you know, the exact same, like, oh, this is great about, I don't know. I just really have high standards for myself, unfortunately, which is why Ellie's Theater stuff takes so long. Yeah. And well, and, and it iterates, right? I mean, I've got tracks yeah. that we started recording like two years ago that I'm still sitting on. And it's not like I'm even waiting for a full record. Like I've got two tracks <laughs> that were supposed <laughs> to release just as a single and a B side. And, um, but you know, things take time, but, but you, you find the, you find the moment when it's ready and you click send, right? You, you upload. Yeah. And- TV is completely, and media, but TV specifically has really changed, you know? Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I, I recently watched Picard. Uh, I just finished Star Trek Discovery. I'm starting Picard this week. So so I grew up on Star Trek. I was I had a, a oh, Star Trek. Oh, we're going to talk about Star Trek. I'm so Here we okay. go. This is, this is going <laughs> to sell some albums, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was, I was a dork in school. I'm I obsessed a, with Star Trek. I had a Star Trek club. Right, my yes, friends. We would go. like design starships. Can running. I join? Yeah, um, <laughs> you have to enlist. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so big Star Trek fan growing up, and what helped me enjoy Picard was that I, I rewatched part like seasons one through four of the Next Generation, like just randomly while I was soldering some stuff that I was building and then I watched Picard and I was like oh okay like I can enjoy this because it's not as bad as the first season no matter what um, but the thing I discovered was uh, fucking that's a network TV show and and you haven't seen it I won't spoil it but like people get fucking disintegrated on that and Captain I've heard Picard. it's really I mean there's parts of Discovery that are pretty dark and violent compared to what I'm used to from Star Trek. Like they showed like oh, yeah. mangled bodies and corpses and shit like a few times in discovery, like very like almost like a, like, I don't know, not as hardcore as American horror story, but very much, Oh, we're focusing on like gross bloody gore right now. Like there was a few moments like that. That's very much surprised me. I, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're dropping F bombs and they're, you know, the whole nine yards and, and there's, there wasn't quite sex sex. Like, I don't think they actually showed a, a tit or something, but, 
There was implied um, like sex way more heavily than ever had been in Star Trek. Like there was like some like artistic, I think kind of like, like sort of like fade out shots where it was like two like torsos not showing anything like heavy breathing type of shit. Yeah. They can show butts now. There was um, a butt. um, David Caruso gave us that. American Horror Story does three times that every single episode. Not that I'm a huge fan of that show, um, but uh, the stuff like there's like an episode where like they have to like jerk off a minotaur a minotaur into a uh, mason jar and then burn it as part of some like voodoo ritual or like witch ritual or something. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm like, I'm watching a TV show just on my television and they're like talking about getting like minotaur semen into a jar so they can like burn it. And they're like showing dead bodies and shit and people getting fucked. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like that, I, what they could get away with now is crazy. Well, and, and the commercials, the commercials are like surreal now. Like it's, it, it's, it's like, Salvador Dali is is running the show or something now. I mean, I, there are people who who theorize that the change in tone and like generational humor is like in like inspired by the young generation's like nihilism and like uh, un- inability to make sense of the world that they see before them. Because like, imagine like I think about this all the time, and I worry like what what are little kids or like you know people in their early teens like how could they have any hope or perspective for like what they want to do with their life or how they fit into this world when like everything is unstable and the people who are supposed to be knowledgeable and the people who are supposed to listen to experts and the people who are supposed to follow logic and reason and make decisions that benefit everybody that makes sense. Like how do you like believe in a world or whatever when all those principles that you would seek in a, in a just and developed world are inverted. Like, how do you, how do you grow up and be normal? What will that generation be like? And so there, I've read like essays about how people believe that the absurdist humor that is especially like now, like Cartoon Network shows are so weird now. Like it started kind of with Adventure mm-hmm. Time, I guess, but like Cartoon Network shows are so weird. And uh, it's just like, yeah, they're just like all like, it's like nihilism and absurdism because the world doesn't make sense. One of the things I've been dealing with in the last several years of my life is realizing that, you know, my parents and and the adult authority figures that I've looked up to, everybody's improvising. Nobody knows what the fuck's going on. Like n- nobody's really got a handle on it. Like like the the whole oh well, you just have to be confident and then you'll get ahead in life. Well, the only ring of truth to that is that like that confidence allows you to ignore the fact that like everything's just on fire. You know, <laughs> that's the only that's what way the record really- is about it is that's I think that's <laughs> the core of like what humanity is, though, is like the ability to press on for the chance of success, even when things look like shit. I think that's like kind of in a way like the lesson of the record is is what makes us human is, you know, our ability to look drastic odds in the face and say, well, you know, if we want to have a shot at getting anything better, we got to take this one in a million shot. And that's part of what, why I love Star Trek is because it's very much a show about that as corny as that is. But I think that's like a beautiful thing. And something that I've tried to be grateful for and honor more is like people are driven to do the right thing and to see, you know, redemption and see a better tomorrow. And I think that's the best way to move forward. And that's me kind of overcoming, you know, the things I read in black pill communities and, you know, things that seem likely for someone in my situation felt like they'd lost everything. And, yeah, that's why I love Star Trek. <laughs> well, we're we're back to compartmentalization, right? I mean, yeah, I should compartmentalize the part of myself that's obsessed with Star Trek away from everybody else because <laughs> I'll never stop talking about no it. No way. I, I I think. Uh, I mean, the the escapism, right? I mean, the the premise of Star Trek was, 
hey, we don't need money anymore. Right? Like <laughs> the Ferengi. Yeah, the might utopian be training- part of Star Trek is very escapist. Yeah, that we believe that, you know, I, be- I believe in that. I believe that there is a future where we can have solved every problem. I, I truly believe it because humanity's self determined like that. If anyone likes anything I've ever done, I, there's something for you on this. I think unless unless you like like my cabaret sounds, there's nothing like that on this record. That was a conscious choice. Um, but I think if you like any of like the, which outside of that, it was mostly like kind of like industrial and dancey and synth punky stuff. Like all that is present on this album in like new forms. I wanted to take all those things like the spirit of like synth punk and electro punk is to take the electronics available to you and, you know, take your keyboard and run it through a guitar amplifier and fucking play a drum kit with it. Boom. You're like a synth punk band. That's cool as hell. And I think that, you know, the evolution of that genre would be using digital tools and using, you know, digital techniques to create punk music. You know, you can call it digital punk or whatever, but I I wanted to kind of see what I could do in the future of synth punk and not stay so rooted in like kind of older style sounds and uh, more shit like that. Like I really wanted to try to make something that felt current, if not futuristic at times. And I I feel like I could even push further into, you know, how do you use digital tools to make punk music and what would like something like digital punk, what would that sound like? And so that's uh, kind of been a moniker I've used since my third album is like digital punk. And uh, that's what I would call this record in a way, but it's more focused on like, different scenes that are using because like trap musicians and EBM musicians. And there's just, there's great ground to be broken by using these new modern sounds and tools to push those genres. And uh, I want to try to push the boundaries of that too. As part of writing this record, you know, I know that there's a lot of the, the, the cathartic work, right. Of taking that stuff that you're really passionate about and like getting it out there. But is there a particular point in this process where you, you just like looked at yourself and realized that you were, you were feeling a certain way, right? Like, were you self-aware of, of any moment in particular that really stood out? I remember one night, the Sophie album, Oil of Every Pearls on Insides had just come out and I was so captivated by that record to where I would set up my video projector on my wall every night for, I think it was three nights in a row I did this, and put visualizations on the video projector. And I would just lean back in my chair in a pitch black room and just watch the visualizations while I listened to the entire record. Because it was just so transportative to me. And I had headphones on and you got to hear all the little bells and whistles because she's an insane producer and just has so much detail and just like texture in her work. And so I, I took three nights to take it all in with headphones and watch the visualizations and just go with it. But after that weekend where I listened to this album every night and, and let it take me away, I went back to the songs I was writing. And this was this was sometime last year. And I went back to the songs that I'd written for the album at that point and went, you have a lot of fucking work to do, don't you? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just because I know that I'm not a very adept producer, most all the Elias in the Air material made up until this record was made on software and hardware and stuff that is handed me down, used, at least 15 years old, pirated, cracked. Uh, and for the first time, I have a little bit of a budget, like, I'm finally working with like the latest version of Fruity Loops or FL Studio now, as it's called. You can tell how old fashioned mm-hmm. I am with the shit. But yeah, my records had a certain 
sort of lo-fi sound because they were just made on old shit by someone that didn't know what they were doing. And listening to that Sophie album, I was like, you have all the same tools that she has. And this goes out to everybody that makes music on a computer. Like everybody has the same tools. The playing field has never been more level. Like open your mind and try something different and try something more. And and you can improve your productions if that's something that you're looking to do. And after hearing that record, I got the courage to do that. And I went back and redid probably half the songs of the album. Just be like, you can be a better producer than this and you can break more ground and make more new sounds in this. And uh, Stark Life was one of those songs that was that that went through the ringer after that. And I was listening to other stuff that wasn't Sophie as well that made me want to go back and rearrange the record. But I've just really been getting into well-produced, like really textural, really deep electronic music and seeing the ground that they break and the rules that they break and went back and kind of reassessed the album halfway through making it with that in mind. So I guess that was the first moment I can really think about and point to is like, this is when I knew I was making something and this is when I knew what I wanted to sound like. You've made a lot of records over the years. Oh my God. And and you've probably come to a similar realization I have of, you know, like you make a record and then like two years later, sometimes you don't even remember anything on it. <laughs> you know, I will say, I think it may differ because I think when making art, you and I may have different goals at times. But to me, each of my albums is such like a like a bound and collected diary of those years of my life mm-hmm. that it's super ingrained to like my experiences in those years and can't really be quantified. But that's because Elias and the Air is meant to be that diary. And so that's why I can... But as far as stuff I've worked on for other people, oh yeah, I forget all the time. I made music for a porno movie and people have to remind me of that all the time. Like Elias and the Air stuff, I never forget. But all the other stuff that I've made that's not Elias and the Air, I'm usually like, oh yeah, I did do that, didn't I? Yeah. Let me, let me try to make the point a different way then. Do you feel like part of your epiphany with this record and not overthinking things and the experiences that you've gathered, you know, how is that informed by the fact that you have a whole bunch of work behind you now, right? And that maybe in the beginning, you know, I felt like everything that I wrote was going to be like a masterpiece, right? And so there was pressure to make it just really, really perfect. Do you feel like there's an arc in your growth as a a composer and a creator where, you know, the music you're making now means something different than it did back then in terms of what it needs to be? You were touching on some raw nerves. I'm actually kind of convinced you're psychic with the way you picked up on that because (laughs) everything you're talking about has been a big part of why my new record sounds so much different than my older ones and just the evolution of my creativity you know, in the context of all of that. But yeah, that's been a huge focus for me as a creator. And uh, I would, I almost would love to teach like a college class called like creative theory or something, because I've just examined like the idea of my creativity and what creativity is like so much with making this record. And I feel like I'm in a way healthier place with how I create things and my relationship to the things that I create. There is a lot of pressure to create a masterpiece. And I think that's what scares people away from making music and making art so much is that everything you make has to be a masterpiece. Think of all of your favorite artists, especially ones that are prolific or have like a big long career. Not everything they made was a masterpiece either. Like you do the best that you can in the context of whatever situation, whatever project, whatever that you're working on. And then like you move on because I think evolving and getting to that next work and then completing that work and getting to the next one is going to do so much more for your growth as a creator than agonizing over, well, if I make a masterpiece, then that validates me as a creator or, you know, that'll be the the most worthwhile thing to create. One of my goals with Elias in the Air 
where is every time I put out something new, I want it to be a completely new thing that blindsides you, breaks the rules of what Elias in the era can be, and can really be like clearly defined as a new era. Because a lot of the artists that make me want to create have that quality to them. People like Marilyn Manson, Todd Rundgren, David Bowie, Nine Inch Nails, My Chemical Romance, Panic of the Disco. Uh, I mean, you can find great examples from any decade, but the idea of the artist is this like, meta chameleon that's kind of aware of their own work and works to defy things that they've done before is just a really cool place i think to play so to have put out a record four years ago where it's kind of these like lo-fi baroque emotional like weird like swing time ballads and other strange stuff like that to go to this very like fully realized very huge and different like hip hop industrial thing with like a lot more low end than is used to being in my music, different attitude, different approach to everything, different look. I think that's just a way more exciting place for me to be to, you know, raise the ground of whatever came before what I did and go, how can I push myself to do something different? So once I'm done with this, I have like 20 theoretical album ideas in my head all the time. And right now I think after this one, I want, I've been wanting to do like a 2000s era pop record, like Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Kesha, uh, that type of stuff, Rihanna. And that's obviously the antithesis of what the black pill is, which is this very nasty, gnarly, nine inch nails, fuck you, burn it all down type of thing. So I just love having those dichotomies between the different things in my work. And I think it gives, you know, a astute listener more context and more room to play and more room for the works to inform and influence each other. I want to be one of those bands where there's a wiki and you have to go and look shit up on the wiki and there's lore and, and all that stuff. Like that's the level I want to get to with the amount of uh, meta context that occurs with Elias in the air. Yeah, there was a, I remember Radiohead had like a secret website with all these Easter eggs in it that they yes. put out. There's a long history of really good art being uh, more than just the sum of its parts, right? Like being the experience, you know, the, the, the moment that you remember where you first heard that song, right? Back to the John Cage thing, right? Like the environment being just as much part of the, part of the performance. But uh yeah, man. I mean, this this new record I, I listened to, and I'm just like, man. Like, well, I haven't listened to the record. I listened to the the, the video, but um, you know, just the the sounds I was hearing, and you know, earlier you said something about how you you don't think you're very adept to produce or something. I think it's really well done. I would say I, I'm much happier with my skill as a producer now, but I think the first three Ellie's and their albums were somewhat marred by the fact that I was working on stuff. 10 to 15 years old, pirated, broken, shitty, hand-me-down, and kind of refused to adapt. And I think that's probably part of what gave that trilogy of records its sound and makes it Elias in the Air-like. But with this, I really wanted to defy that kind of idea of me being lo-fi. And I really wanted to modernize my knowledge of production and genre and just, you know, knowledge of, of music at this point. So, hey, Jeffrey, I really enjoyed our conversation. For sure. I'm going to remind everybody that October 16th, 2020... Uh, if we get that far, and, and it's still uncertain if we will. Dear God, please. Uh, <laughs> everybody rush out. Go to Bandcamp now. Uh, it's eliasandtheerror.bandcamp.com. Go pre-order it. It's only seven bucks, which is like a coffee and a Danish. So there's no reason not to do that. There's also a Patreon, which is at patre- uh, patreon.com slash eliasandtheerror. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Elias underscore error. Got it. At Elias underscore error. I think that's the best place to check you out, but I know there are other places too. Yeah. Twitter's a, Twitter's a good time. Uh, I have Instagram. I have everything but Facebook basically. Yeah. Fuck Facebook. 
Um, thanks so much, Jeffrey. We're, we're uh, excited to hear the album when it comes out and uh, looking forward to seeing what else you're up to. Hell yeah, bro. Take care. And taking you out, this track is called Fire Eye. Broken up.